Live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal, www.jewishjournal.com. So I just came back from a 10-day trip in Poland, and what I saw there perplexed me. On one hand, Poland is going through massive political changes in which the far right have taken, have taken control over the country. Recently, a bill was passed that gives the right-wing government greater control of the Supreme Court, for example. And just last month, tens of thousands of anti-Semitic protesters marched through the streets of Warsaw, shouting racist chants. On the other hand, the Jewish community is still present and actually at its prime since World War II, some might say. One member of the Jewish community there is Matan Shefi. Matan decided to move to Warsaw three years ago uh, with his wife and the two still live there today. Matan works at the Jewish Historical Institute and helps people trace their Jewish roots in Poland. And today Matan joins us to talk about his new home, his work and recent developments in Poland. Subscribe to Two Nice Jewish Boys on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate us. So you live in Poland, in Warsaw? I do, yes. And how, how is that? Just like, like, an, like a day-to-day, how, how is that? I, people wake up, people go to work, they buy their food. That's amazing. They try to no, eat. But, but when you say people, it's not people, it's Poles, you know. That, it, it, everyone. <laughs> it's it's now, different. You know. But it, many Jewish people and Israelis coming to Poland have an expectation of it as the biggest Jewish cemetery on earth and uh, try to sometimes avoid the situation of about 40 million people living in this Just place. Just living their lives. Exactly. It is weird because, you know, when you go, I was, you know, for the first time at places like Majdanek in uh, Lublin and other places. But, for example, in such a place, they live so close. They have like a, they have a terrace overlooking the camp, you know. That's what they wake up to and that's what they go to sleep with every day. Yes, Majdanek is actually quite uh, incredible in this instance. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's... What do you mean? It's surrounded by residential yeah, area? Yeah, basically. And it... nowadays it is. It's in the outskirts of the city of Lublin. It has a big university just across the road. Right. A contemporary se- uh, Catholic cemetery just across the, the fence. And there is a residential quarter of Lublin nowadays really reaching the former camp of Majdanek. But Majdanek, we, we remember it as a Jewish extermination camp. We have to remember this is the, the extermination camps with the most Polish Catholic de- uh, dead in it. Mm-hmm. And it was also a detention and a, um, uh, a work camp and a restoration camp and a concentration camp for Polish Catholics. So uh, the people living in po- Polish Catholics, living very close to Majdanek, it's not them overlooking a Jewish death camp. It's overlooking a death camp. Just but but something that's also very close and personal to them. It's not right. th- it's not that they ignore it. It's Jewish relics or Jewish history in Poland that they somehow live close to. It's very intimate also to them. Why are the is the community in Lublin uh, uh, primarily Catholic? Poland is Catholic primarily. I I see. So these, I mean, the people in uh, in Lublin. What is their what is their relationship to this camp? When you when you go there, it's do you, do you do they do they? I mean, is it completely integrated? Has it just become part of their day to day life? Or you can even shortcut through it to get to another 
you know to another part of town if to another to the to the other side or something I, i'm i'm actually not sure but i i have to say once again when i say polish catholic i'm i'm trying i'm using it as uh as an uh, um as a loose term not a loose term but when people refer to pre-war poland and its population uh many people have uh, uh the polar view of Poles versus Jews. And we have to remember that Jews were also uh, residents of Poland, citizens of Poland, in many cases, very patriotic uh, citizens. And then if you want to differentiate between the two populations, you have to say Polish Jewish and Polish Catholics. Because mm -hmm. if you're saying they were Jews and they were Poles, you're saying Jews right. in Poland weren't Polish. And you're using Poland as an ethnicity, not as a nationality. So But, what, what? I'm sorry. I'm yeah. just trying to understand the distinction. Who are these tens of thousands of people that are marching through the street uh, from this anti-Semitic organization? That are are these Polish Catholics? Most of them are probably, probably were. And the the things you were mentioning before, the march uh, at the Poland uh, Day of Independence on uh, November 11th, uh, this year included some 60,000 marchers. Most of them were probably people coming to celebrate Independence Day, but the march itself uh, had yeah had a very um, strong uh, xenophobic uh, atmosphere. And the groups uh, organizing it are quite to the extreme right-wing side of the political map. So I don't, I don't think it would be fair to say 60,000 anti-Semites marching the streets, but it's 60,000 people permitting anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. xenophobia, and, uh, and racism. Uh, Why do you make that um, clarification or assumptions? Aren't you... First, because I live in Poland and I'm I'm trying not to uh, freak out. Okay, but <laughs> it happened like on your doorstep, basically. This yes, and uh, not on my doorstep, uh, but uh, like on my in my city, and yeah. uh, and I went strolling with my uh, uh, little son in the in the stroller, uh, we, and we were watching people going to the march, and you know, it's most of them are like people with families and. And Nazis also had families. Definitely. But the tragedy of this march, in my opinion, is that Poland today doesn't have... This is the biggest venue of Polish Independence Day in the Polish capital. Uh, somehow, the extreme right took over uh, patriotism and took over this day as its day. And there are no good... Op uh, um, opportunities and uh, possibilities for people who want to celebrate their independence and have a patriotic spending of their time in a public venue which is not this march nowadays so uh i am really hoping that uh other political movements groups uh would would formulate uh, a, a different possibility to to commemorate and to celebrate counter, this day to counter it if D definitely if, if uh, b the reason i mentioned uh, maidanic camp as, is because we talked about poles and how they wake up in the morning and live their lives and but the reality is they are burdened in a sense i feel that's how i felt at least because you know ev i i understand that they go in high school in high school as a pole you go to to auschwitz uh, that's what i they all go that's what i heard 
that many of them uh, as teenagers go to Auschwitz. Yes, it's obligatory for a Polish uh, high school student to visit Auschwitz-Birkenau. Right. Camps. I'm not sure that Museum. in Germany, by the way, such a thing is obligatory. I'm not sure at all. It's not obligatory, but it's not in Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, uh, but yeah. To uh, visit camps in Germany. Visit, yeah, a camp or something. I have no idea, so I won't. Uh, but uh, so they are burdened by it and they are still, in a sense, maybe living it. And maybe also the fact that the demonstrators shout anti-Semitic chants or chant some... It, it, because there are no more Jews almost in Warsaw in, in relative to, to the past. So why are you still hating Jews? And if, if there are... No Jews almost, you know? Something is still haunting them from the past. No, I, I think you, your observations are very interesting and in, in, in very, in many cases, quite correct. But I, I, if I would go back to your uh, uh, preface to this uh, talk, you, you stated that Poland has many contrasts in it nowadays and it's, uh, the political situation is uh, um, quite problematic, if I would be gentle. And... Uh, <laughs> It's an inter- it's interesting time and an interesting place. And this is one of the things that brought me to Poland uh, some four and a half years ago. I'm sorry to correct you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think we need to try and touch this complexity. And you are uh, right. World War II is a burden on Polish uh, history, on Polish identity. Uh, and it's almost a cornerstone of their identity. Uh, and it's the identity of the victim. Um, what do you mean? They see themselves as victims. They were victims, I think. It's, it's quite clear. Uh, Polish, Poland was the, fr- was the first state to be occupied by Nazi Germany. It was under occupation during the whole world, the whole war, uh, partly under Nazi Germany, and in some parts, uh, eastern parts of Poland between 39 and 41 were under uh, Soviet occupation. And uh, Poland lost... Uh, some five millions of its citizens, three millions of them were Jews. Some would say even six million uh, Poles, Polish citizens uh, were killed during the war. Uh, Poland was not an ally to uh, Nazi Germany. Poles were put in camps, were killed for no reasons, even Polish Catholics, not only Jews. Poland is definitely a victim of the war. And I think when it, we... we three uh, nice young Jewish boys talking, we, we tend to forget it. And our uh, educational systems uh, try and portray uh, Jews as the biggest and almost only victim of this war. I think, and definitely when we talk about the Holocaust, remember most of the killing took place on Polish soil. It's easy to see Poles, Catholic Poles, as part of the perpetrators, part of the killers, and this is completely wrong. Poland as a country didn't exist. Catholic Poles were under occupation and had to, uh, uh, to take part in actions uh, uh, caused by Nazi Germany. There, are, there is still a great uh, place to talk about specific people doing horrible things, about anti-Semitism in Polish society, about 
temples giving up their Jewish neighbors and... About some... the tens and maybe hundreds of thousands of Jews who were murdered by Poles before the war, in the, in the, the centuries before, in pogroms and... You know, centuries before, thousands of years before. Well, no. yeah, but because, you know, when I went through, I, every village I googled in Wikipedia and read the history of the Jewish community, and you see some of the villages, yes, the Nazis killed everyone, but you also read in every village about the pogroms that the locals did before, even before the Nazis. But if you talk about uh, Jewish history in Europe, though, there's no city without also uh, true. riots. Do you talk about the Paris pogroms, the London pogroms? There were some. Yeah, uh, and true. So it's Jewish history in Europe is Amsterdam pogrom. <laughs> uh, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, and we sometimes overlook the, you know, the Jerusalem pogroms that happened uh, in, in the city some uh, thousand years ago by, uh, by crusaders. But uh, it's a problematic history, but if we really focus on World War II or 20th century, um, Poland was, and Polish people were, definitely a victim of the war. It doesn't take any, th- any less responsibility from different actions done by individuals, usually not organizations, but by individuals during the war uh, of um, taking over property, Uh, giving people to uh, um, German forces and sometimes just, you know, murder. But those weren't organized and weren't in, in, in larger scale and weren't in larger scales. It wasn't a cooperation with Nazi Germany, but there were horrible instances. And I'm saying this because most Jewish people who come to Poland uh, see it as, uh, I would say it differently. We, we the Jewish people, had, we forgot, we forgave Germany for its role in the war because of many things that happened. We haven't forgave Poland. And we have, when we think about what we need to forgive, we need, we need to think about it a little more clearly. Because we tend to blame Poland for uh, atrocities during the Holocaust and during the world, which wasn't really... Poland's fault. So there was no uh, institutional cooperation between Poland and Germany, meaning, I don't know, the police force or certain certain parts of the military. Once, once it was occupied, they, didn't, they weren't forced into cooperation? There wasn't a military. Uh-huh. The military was actually under, uh, allied, uh, under allied command in London. The Polish uh, government in exile was sitting in London and was a part of the Allies. Mm-hmm. Actually, the Allies let Poland uh, be, be captured. Yeah, be captured and, and didn't uh, go through with the, an agreement the, the, the British and French had with Poland before the war. Uh, never mind, let's not go into this. I don't want to become a Polish whiny about <laughs> this. But, uh, but if there was a Polish military, it was with the Allies and not with the Nazi Germany. There w- There were what, what is referred to as the blue police, the Polish police, which did uh, police patrolling in Nazi-conquered, captured Poland. Uh, it had to work with the Germans because the Germans were in rule. But I don't think you can really talk about, if we try and, and speak on moral grounds, uh, it's hard to talk about freewheeling cooperation when someone has a gun into his head, meaning those people didn't really have any chance. Yeah, but that's, I mean, you know, what you could say about much of Germany even. You know, I was just following orders or I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm stuck in this, 
in this. Yeah, you he didn't know, help uh, them in Nuremberg. I'm not. I, I mean, I, I'm not as well versed in the history, so I, I'm not. You know, trying to argue. I'm just trying to understand what the situation was no, exactly. But, but there are different ways of. Uh, there are different situations when saying I was just following orders. Mm-hmm. There are situations if a, a German soldier is not following orders or an SS officer or, or SS official saying I have orders, you can resign from your job and not do it or saying I'm, I'm refusing to do this mission. If a Polish policeman in occupied Poland is refusing an order, he's dead. They're killing him. And someone in the SS could say, I don't want to do this? This is inu- inhumane. Yeah. <laughs> there are many situations and, and many things. I, not everyone in every SS yeah. unit or something like this. But it's you can't put it on the same uh, level of cooperation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is your relationship to Poland? Because I find it quite fascinating that someone would uh, you know, pick up their life and move to this place that's this far off place. So and, I, and start a life there. So I was born in Israel. To, uh-huh. uh, um, I would guess a, a typical Israeli Jewish family. Um, my both my both of my parents were born in uh, uh, Europe and came to Israel as kids in the fifties, um, as kids to Holocaust survivors, and uh, we grew up uh, trying to be a, a normal Israeli family. We weren't speaking Polish at home or anything like this. My fa- my mother was born in Warsaw. Uh, to a Polish family. My father was born in the Netherlands to a Dutch uh, Jewish family. And so, of course, he doesn't speak Polish. And uh, um, they spoke, both of them spoke Hebrew at home. So it, we weren't a Polish family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that actually this difference between the Dutch side of the family and the Polish side was quite interesting because Holland was um, a live part of the family. We had still family in Holland. Uh, we would visit. They would visit us. Uh, and uh, uh, people from Holland made Aliyah and came to live in Israel. And people from Israel went to Holland and lived for for different reasons. And it was kind of more co- cool being Dutch in school. It's a better uh, football, soccer team. <laughs> and uh, Polish is not really cool in Israel. Or and, anywhere. <laughs> and the Polish side was not existent. Yeah. So they left, the family left Poland in 1957 and closed the door, locked the keys, and that's it. There was no family there, most of them. Everybody managed to escape? No, everyone just died. Mm. Uh, and the, the, little, the, the little people that did survive World War II did come to Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. like, there were di- distant family in, in Belgium or Denmark, but I, 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 to this day, I don't know them. They're really, really distant. And they just, and there was no contact with Poland Mm -hmm. during the the days of the Iron Curtain. Poland was under the, uh, behind the the Iron Curtain. No no contact, no people going for visits. And being Polish in Israel is boring. There are like 30% of the population, I guess, is, has Polish roots. And so this was behind the closed doors. And the last years of the lives of my grandparents, the Polish grandparents, uh, I tried to talk to them about this. And they, sh- they shut their life in Poland, not 
not only what was during the war, not only what was before the war, their families and all, but also their lives after the war. And they lived for 12 years in Poland after the war. My mother was born there until the age of six, lived in Warsaw, and they didn't talk even about their lives after the war. And I f found it more and more interesting. I studied history at university this year's. They really didn't say anything, but... After they, their death, I started uh, going to Poland uh, mm -hmm. in uh, uh, student meetings and so on. I had some families. My mother made reconnections with Poland herself, um, met, uh, met some friends and also started having her relations. And then I was lucky enough that my girlfriend at the time, my wife today, had her own Polish complex, having a little more with arts and uh, design. She's a toy designer. And when we... Oh, that's and, cool. And when we came uh, one visit as tourists, she said, you know, we're, this is, we can move. It's interesting. It's cool. We're at the right age and don't have, you know, the commitments and the road is still open to us. Let's do it. And in two months, we were there. Wow. Wow. That's a big move. Yes. Yeah. Were you at all afraid before were you worried definitely uh you never know i was living quite a good job in israel uh and a comfortable life and moving away from family and friends and uh you never know if you're doing the right thing and you never know we didn't have any plans i i went without a job Ah, you, you hadn't uh, gotten a job before no, you moved. No, it took me a few months to find uh, the, the work I have now at the Jewish Historical Institute. Uh, but uh, we were quite optimistic. Uh, some Polish friends of ours said, ah, you'll be back before the winter is over. <laughs> uh, we proved it them wrong. It is a cold winter. Uh, yeah, nowadays now we're, you know, uh, December 25th and it's 7 degrees in Warsaw they're very upset that it's not wintry enough yeah. and it's not a white Christmas but uh, you get used it's to a it hot, it's a hot winter in, in Warsaw <laughs> yeah. when it's 7 degrees it's 7, uh, 7 degrees above Above, yeah, seven degrees, ten degrees <laughs> above zero. That's, that's <laughs> you don't really even unheard have of. to say above in Israel. There's yeah. no, yeah. There's no, no distinction. And I, I, I do remember Israeli weather. Yes. Um. Okay. So you came there and, like, what, what <coughs> were the difficulties, uh, and the challenges of it, settling in? So first, we're foreigners. Uh, we don't speak the language very well. When we came, my wife spoke very little Polish. I spoke very basic. And Polish is quite a difficult language. Still to this day, I manage, but I am far from a native speaker. And Poland is not a, a country of immigrants. There are not many... People don't get it when you speak Polish, but not good enough Polish. Mm. Uh, there's no ulpan. There's no process of becoming a, a Polish citizens or polonizing yourself. So it's either, you know, Polish or... You're a, You're a foreigner. Yeah. And so we're foreigners. And um, and you need to know yourself around. We had some friends and, and, and friends of the family to really help us settle in. And uh, uh, actually, the first few months were like an ongoing vacation. We were going from uh, an event to event, from a party to a party, from a friend's house to another friend's house. Um, it sounds like fun. Yeah, and and Warsaw is a great fun. Uh, you can ask two hundred thousand Israelis visiting uh, last year as oh, wow. as 
Poland was the number one tourist destination from Israel this year. Really? It was. Jesus. Uh, that's, yeah, that's surprising. Not Thailand or, <laughs> or Hungary or Bucharest. Thailand is far. Yeah. Uh, Poland is three and a half hour of flight away. It's cheap. It's classical Europe. Wow. And uh, probably the Polish uh, Ministry of Tourism did a very good job in selling it as a, a good food. And cheap. the New Berlin. Uh, I think they didn't go for the New Berlin because it's not... It's not accurate and it's not selling and it it is not and will not be and good that it's not <laughs> uh, but uh, good food cheap uh, shopping and it's Europe good Polish food that's that <laughs> that's, makes sense yeah, yeah. Now, how was your impression of the of Polish food in your oh, stay? it's okay I mean, I mean what do they eat just like pierogi. Uh, like uh, they eat pierogi steamed cabbage what's pierogi pierogi it's like pierogi it's like uh, dumplings ah, basically okay. that's okay. Why, and they have like a uh, soup with dumplings and all kinds of uh, yeah i feel like eastern european food is just all wet soggy stuff no so it's not <laughs> is wet that, is that uh, it's not really wet and soggy pierogi is quite good uh there's good meat and there's excellent uh, sweets and cakes yeah, the cakes are good. Great, no, I, great I will soups admit as well. I have bad stigmas of it. I will say this. It, it was better than German food. Oh, yeah. Really? Better than bratwurst? Yes. Currywurst? Yes. Oh. Yes, yes. But, you know, it's not Italy, on the other hand. But, uh, okay. And, and, and what is this job that you do? Uh, so I work at the uh, Jewish Historical Institute, uh, named after uh, Emanuel Ringelblum in Warsaw, and I work for the uh, Family Heritage and Genealogical Department, which basically means we help people find information about their families, which comes from Polish Jewry. <coughs> and having said this, this can mean many different and strange things. Basically, people come to us. The best way to work with us is really physically coming to our office and saying... I want to know more about this people, uh, mostly family members um, who come from Polish Jewry. It, it might be people's parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and then the stories really vary. In many cases, it's uh, families of Polish Jews who left Poland uh, and are trying to find more information about, about the family. Let me try and, and tackle it from a different angle. Sure. In many, many people, when they want to know something about their uh, family history, it's quite easy and available for them. Uh, and I'm not talking about Israel or the states, which are states of immigrants. But let's think about states and places like France, that, where people are living, you know, for centuries, sometimes in the same village, and they want to know about their family history. So they ask the, the grandparents father or sometimes the great grandfather or they go to the local church or to the local um, you know governmental office and they have the documents there they know the people they read the language and um, it's a fairly the easy yes the basics are quite easy and then we talk about polish jewelry uh, and Polish Jewry knew a chasm in its history because most of the people coming from Polish Jewry do not live in Poland nowadays, do not speak the language and languages of the region because, you know, when you talk about documental uh, documentation, historical documentation, 
it is in Polish, in Russian, sometimes Yiddish, sometimes uh, uh, German. Uh, those are all languages used uh, in different parts of Poland uh, for such things. And so most of the people like, don't speak those languages and don't even sometimes can spell the name of the place their ancestors came from. And you can add to this that the, those are Jewish people who left Poland. And try and imagine the situation for Jewish Poles who stayed in Poland under communist uh, regime and communist times mm. were disconnected to their Jewish part of the family. And it was actually a taboo speaking about this. So if there was once a, a, a comma, a hyphen identity of Polish Jewish, those people who left Poland left, kept their Jewishness and became Jews in different parts of the world, Australia, the States, Israel, France, and those who uh, and left their Polish part of the hyphen uh, mm -hmm. identity behind, those who stayed in Poland. And there were great parts in 57 and 68 of, so of communist governmental anti-Semitic uh, campaigns against Jews in Poland. Most of the Jews who stayed after the Holocaust and after the, the, the few early years after the war just left Poland in, in 57 and 68. So Jews who stayed in Poland were really disconnected from their uh, Jewish identity and in many cases hid it. Mm. So do you, do you recall a specific uh, story of someone who came to you looking for their Jewish roots and, you know, that story stood out to you? I, we are about three, four people working at this department and meet physically meet with uh, some 2,500 a year. Oh, and wow. this is not, not talking about emails or phone calls. This is people physically coming. Uh -huh. And I think I have about 100 stories which really stand out. <laughs> so because tell us they're one in, of them. Uh, I think the best from really uh, um, recent history is in the cup in the last couple of months we in two cases we uh, we we organized a meeting between siblings or half siblings and the story is quite similar in 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 the rough uh, lines of it it's a story about uh, a Jewish man who has a child during the war with a Polish Catholic. Um, in the Soviet Union, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and and during the war, after the war, the paths are not... Like, they they take different paths. Uh, and the woman stay... The Polish Catholic woman stays in Poland with the child, the daughter in two cases, and the uh, Jewish man leaves. And in these couple of cases came to Israel. And we had those kids who were born... 42, 43, they're about 75 years of age now, and coming to us and saying, "My, I never told it to anyone, no one in my family knows, but m my father is Jewish. And, I, and he disappeared. He disappeared. I didn't know him. I, uh, I don't know him. I didn't know him. And I have no idea what became of him. Uh, I want to know. And do, and do they know his name? Um Yes, they knew his name. Uh, in in one case, they knew his false name during the war and had a guessing what the real last name was. We managed to find, uh, to confirm this and have the, the uh, given name by um, identification cards or registration cards given to the, uh, that are in our institute archives of the first years after the war. 
but um, in both cases, we managed to uh, locate the person to I, to know he he immigrated to Israel. He passed away, but he has a family in Israel. So these both cases, I'm assuming they the the parents passed away because they were much older. Yes. So was there ever a scenario, a case in which you guys? Uh, united to living people that uh... no, but th- those are living people because it's it's a daughter saying I never I didn't know my father, and we told her, look, your father passed away, but ah, but then... you have but you have a brother and a sister wow. in Israel because wow. the father father came to Israel and created a new family exactly. So so then they they met. Did you organize a reunion? Did they want to meet? What what happened after? So the two cases were quite different. In one case. You have like imagine the situation. I'm calling a person in Israel and I'm introducing myself and I'm saying, "Hi, do you have a minute because I have <laughs> sit some, down. <laughs> I have something to tell you." And they say, "Yeah, sure, go ahead." And I'm <laughs> I'm verifying that those people are the people that uh, I think they are and that their father is who I think they are. And then I'm asking, "Have you ever heard about a family in Poland?" And they say, "No, there's no family in Poland, nothing like this." And then I'm saying, Look, a woman came to us, and this is the story she tells. Have you heard about it? In one case, the woman, the woman said, Incredible. I'm, give me a couple of days. I'm coming to meet her. Arrange wow. a meeting. And she also, um, she also agreed, both of the women agreed to uh, having this meeting uh, filmed. And I called a, a journalist I know, and it was uh, it, it was a story which ran in the Channel Ten News in Israel. Uh, this meeting they met in Shchechin uh, early this December, but in the diff- in the other case, I spoke to this woman, and she says, I, "I I don't think. Are you sure?" And I said, "Look, I know the names, the the stories that the the details I have do concur with the details you have." Um, and she said, maybe it's someone with the same name, but a different person. I said, they have uh, pictures. I'll send you pictures. I send the pictures, no reply. I, I send a message the next day. I'm saying, is it him? And she said, yes, it's him. And then she's saying, but maybe the fact that they have pictures of him doesn't mean that he's the father. And Very the- reluctant. And I really understand this. Yeah. It's not a nice... How come? Because, yeah, how come? <laughs> that, uh, I can I can say why I think it's it's uh, it's quite disturbing. Uh, I guess each each person can have his own opinion about this, but I'm guessing that uh, this woman knew her father quite well. Uh, she her father passed away twelve years ago, but her mother passed away three months ago, and everything she knew about her father uh, was just now put under a different light Mm. i'm actually i'm basically telling her her father abandoned uh, a wife and a child in poland after the war later we came to understand that this wasn't really abandonment uh uh, there was a a more complicated thing and he he probably he'd try and to do the right thing it's but you you're basically telling Mm. Your parents, who you loved and adored and thought you knew very well, or had faults, had uh, issues, had yeah, yeah, secrets, but, had secrets. But you didn't really know them. Yeah, I think it's it's worse than saying they had faults and secrets. Okay, everyone, but you didn't really know them. Right, and this is quite disturbing. 
And so in this case, when the woman who was reluctant, I, to I told her, look, you can do a... Um, As uh, you wish. You can do a, a, a DNA test. Uh, mm. You're half-siblings, it's possible. I, I checked with the DNA labs, it, it takes time. And this woman, your half-sister, or your claimed half-sister, is coming to Israel in a month because she wants to visit her father's grave. And she's allowed. She knows that her father passed away in Israel. She knows where the grave is. It's public knowledge. She is coming. I think it would be a good chance for you to meet. And, and in this case, it was a story. The woman didn't know who her father was. Her mother never told her. The Polish woman. Yes. And this story where the woman was reluctant to meet. Right. In, the, in this case, uh, after the mother passed away, the aunt told her, look, your father... Who you, you knew his last name, but you didn't know anything be, besides this. The last name you know is not even correct. It's a Polish, it's a Polish Jewish man. This was his uh, uh, alias, alias during the war, and uh, he he went to Israel after the war, or he, he didn't come back after the war. He right. didn't connect with your mother, and he left. And 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 I told the the woman in Israel, the half sibling, this is not a story you make up. Today in Poland, uh, to say, like, if your life has changed, you, you understood that you have half-siblings, this woman's life has really changed because, um, and this is also something interesting about Poland today, the Jewish history, Jewish stories, and Jewish presence in Poland is a little of a, a living ghost. It's something bubbling under the ground. Mm -hmm. And to... Tell to a Polish person now, you have Jewish roots. Uh, it sometimes really changes their lives and their identity and their perception about themselves. So, so at the end, they didn't meet. They did. Oh, uh, oh wow. <laughs> I didn't so, see that coming. Yeah. Yes. So um, the, in the end, uh, two weeks before the, the Polish woman, I can say the names because this, they, they also allowed us to publish it and in in a few days, it, it should be online on, on our institute website. Uh, the Polish woman's name is uh, Ruzha. The uh, uh, person in Israel is called Tirza. And so a couple of weeks before uh, Ruzha is coming, not Ruzha, I'm sorry, this is the other one, Wutzia is coming to visit Israel. Tirza, her half-sibling, says, I'll meet her. I don't want her to have really high expectations. Um, I'll meet her. My brother won't. Hmm. And it was uh, Motsei Shabbat, Saturday night, and I get uh, a message on my WhatsApp a couple of weeks after, and I see uh, a family meeting. And I'm saying, so I'm really happy to see this. How is it going? And they're saying, it's great. And then I look at the picture, and I see a lot of adults uh, around the table, and I say, I, I, I understand that your brother also came to the meeting. And she said, yes, everyone came. It's uh. great. That's nice. amazing. So he had a change of heart. Yes. No, I, 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 and this I really, I really understand. Like it's something you need. You need to take time to right. to cope and yeah, understand right, right. and and come to terms with. So, uh, the big question, Matan, uh, do you see a future for you in Poland? And do Jews have a future in Poland? In your opinion. I think it's a very big question, and I am a very little person to talk about this. About my private future, I think it 
it has a lot to do with uh, you know our private lives. We have um, a beautiful first boy, first born boy, uh, born about a year ago, uh, and it's a good question what we want him for his life. Uh, he's away from his uh, grandparents, from his uncles and aunts and cousins, and uh, this is not a simple uh, situation. Even if you you know it's it's heaven on earth on Poland. Um, so I, I think our personal future would be determined by, you know, very personal questions. Future for Poland. Um, for Jews in Poland. For, yeah, future f uh, for Poland as well. Um, you can probably understand that I am very critical at the current government in Poland and what's going on nowadays. And it's very problematic. But I'm also... Uh, thinking about what historians call the long durée, the, the long uh, uh, timeline and processes that takes a little more time. And it's sometimes a pendulum. It's a question how far does the pendulum get and how quick would it uh, bounce back? Um, but I'm not sure that this current government with its uh, hardline political opinions and actions would, you know, determine Polish history for the next 200 years about Pol about Polish Jews it's a great question it's a question the the Polish uh, uh, Jewish community is dealing with um, every day and I think there is definitely a future but in a such a small community which numbers about 7,000 people in all of Poland uh, probably some 20,000 who have Jewish roots in Poland. The question is, who are the Jewish, like, who is in the Jewish community and who is Jewish? Uh, and what is a future? Because nowadays, to be a member of a Jewish community in Poland, you need to have one of your four grandparents born Jewish. Um halakhically, religiously speaking, Jewish. And what do you mean to be a part of the Polish Jewish community? Meaning there's a definition in Poland of being part of the Jewish community? Yes, there is a legal body called the Jewish community and oh, you, can, wow. you need to be registered a member. By the way, I am not a member. I am not a Polish citizen uh, at the moment. Your uh, son is? No. No, it's not by uh, birth. It's... It's by, not the United uh, States, by man. Parents. <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's it's not by uh, soil. It's by blood. By blood, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, like Israel and not like in the states. Mm. Uh, so uh, I am not officially so a member. So you have to actually be registered as part of the Jewish community in Poland. You don't have to be. You can. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Uh, and uh, and that you, had a bit of a resonating, <laughs> uh, resonated badly a little bit with me. Yeah. You have to be registered. No, you but. can you. You, you choose can, to. You choose to be, okay. uh, and uh, and then you, some of your tax, by the number of people registered, uh, it determines how much of taxpayers' money go into this uh, com mm, okay, to I different see. communities and so on. It's a little like so. In the Germany. community you think can thrive in the long run, and and maybe I don't know. The community is now uh, dealing with. Um, I would say different things, and uh, I am quoting uh, 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 a woman called Monika um, Krajewska, um, 
who is uh, um, a converted Jew who goes to my synagogue, the uh, the Reform Liberal Synagogue belonging to the Warsaw Jewish community. There are, by the way, five to seven synagogue, active synagogues in Warsaw. De- depends how you count. Uh, two of them are liberal or reform. And so in a panel with this discussion, she said... Orthodox kids, Nozick kids, Nozick is the name of the uh, main Orthodox synagogue in Warsaw, are kids for export. Because when they grow up, their parents can't give them the proper Orthodox education they want. And they, and what's worse, they can't be sure that they would find Jewish partners in Poland. The community is re- just really small. Most of the people aren't halachically Jews. Mm. And, and so those are kids for export. And in the last year, uh, two of the seven Polish rabbis left Poland exactly because their kids came to the, the age where they, you know, they start dating, hmm. or or they uh, the Jewish school is uh, reaching only up till the ninth grade, and in high school you have to do outside. Uh, Jewish school and the Jewish school is not really religious but it's a Jewish school okay and so uh, and she said Nozick Orthodox kids are for experts our kids the liberal Judaism we have a future here mm-hmm. because we try to include uh, uh, mixed marriages in our community because we uh, are trying to live a more multicultural life and I think she's in many cases correct uh, I am not sure what does it mean for the Jewish community in Poland, but it's definitely interesting. Time will tell. And uh, just before we go, people who have uh, who are interested in investigating their Polish Jewish roots, how do they um, contact you? The best thing I would uh, advise is uh, um, first do your homework. Uh, talk to your family members, to distant uh, cousins or family members, and try and get as much information about the people who left Poland and then contact our department. You can do it via email or just search Jewish Genealogy Warsaw. The email is familyheritage at jhi.pl, jhi for Jewish Historical Institute. Uh, but if you'll search online Jewish Historical Institute Genealogy Poland or Jewish Genealogy Poland, you'll, you, find, you guess. you'll, you, you'll probably find us or via Facebook. Um, and then a detailed email saying, this are the people I'm talking about and so on. Because with something like, I'm looking for the Friedman family in Zgierz next to Łódź, I'm saying, okay, there were probably 150. Uh, which, which of the Friedmans are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and then he's saying, Leon. Okay, Leon, there were about 12. Uh, so tr- try and be more specific. And even if you, spec- you okay, you say, I'm looking for Leon, the son of Simcha and uh, Gitel, uh, something like this, born 1912 in Zgierz. Maybe he was working someplace else. Maybe he went to a yeshiva in this city. Any Maybe... piece of information that will help you guys. Yes, because trying to search for information from about 100, 120 years ago is in a place that went through two world wars. Sometimes there is very fragmental documentation. And they didn't have Facebook. Un- unfortunately not. And, uh, and sometimes if you say, okay, someone went to this specific high school for one year, by chance, this specific high school documents were kept in t- intact. And if you're mm. saying, okay, he was working at this kind, if you're 
talking about a merchant kind of family. It's different information, different places to search than if it was uh, you know, a rabbinical family or a, a farmer. So do your homework and then preferably go to Warsaw to meet with Matan and his colleagues. Uh, but of course, you need, it's better to schedule a meeting with him via email. Yes, definitely. Okay. Before uh, we go. Before we go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal. It's an amazing uh, online uh, and printed magazine and a newspaper uh, by the, uh, for the Jewish community in the States, in English. Interesting, fascinating. Check it out. We're on Twitter, right? Yeah, we are. We're on Twitter, we're Instagram, on Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, and we have another podcast, guys. It's called The Melting Podcast. So if you know Olim or people <laughs> who are interested in immigrating to Israel, please uh, refer them to The Melting Podcast. It's a podcast about Aliyah. Meltingpodcast.com. Matan, thank you so much. Enjoy your stay here in Israel. Thank, thank you. you. And good luck. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.